Hello everyone, this is Pete from the Lassercast, and welcome to our part two of our top 10 movies of 2022. Last time around, we covered numbers 10 through 6, and now this time we are covering numbers 5 through 1. I know we're a little behind on this one, and part 1 was a long time ago, I think it was in January, but you know, the Oscars were just on, so we're kind of close. But Danny and I are always around with our live videos, live reviews of movies, such as Scream 6, that Danny just posted, and we have a whole bunch of stuff coming up for the rest of the month of March. So make sure that if you have not subscribed to the Lastercast, that you go ahead and do so. And we'll see you guys real soon. So for number five is where I had Incantation. Now you kind of mentioned the Incantation before, but I just wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit more in depth right now. It is directed by Kevin Ko. It is a Taiwanese foot, uh, film. It's once again found footage just like Deadstream. But in this case, I really do think that it sort of seamlessly tells a story where you're not thinking it's necessarily found footage. There are scenes where the main character, Ronan, it, this woman, Ronan, is like looking around at the camera and she's talking directly to the audience. But besides those scenes... It, it doesn't really feel like found footage. And I think the reason why it is so well done is because um, Ronan has a little daughter, a very cute little daughter, Dodo. And she hasn't been with Dodo for years because of something that's happened in the past. She, t she takes Dodo home and she's going to watch Dodo and take care of her. But then we find out that there are these cameras that are inside of these bunnies that Dodo has. And so, so much of the footage of the movie is from the perspective of these bunny cams. Now there's there's footage from like dash cams on cars and from you know street cameras and things like that. Uh, and of course cell phones too. But it, you never really have that feeling of like, oh, I'm watching a found footage movie and they're gonna show this part and they're gonna, you know, it, it, it just sort of flows. Um, there is a religion that they make up for this movie and it has rituals, it has imagery, everything that they made just for this movie, um, where it is um, the Mother Buddha. It's this, this entity. And I'm not going to tell you anyone what the Mother Buddha is, but the imagery in itself is both interesting and scary at the same time. You know, we, we've talked about foreign films quite a bit uh, tonight. And the thing is, one of the appeals besides them sort of taking risks, showing things that you wouldn't show to an American audience is that it's a glimpse into another culture. And so we see things that we don't normally see. We see a different perspective on the world. And that in itself is refreshing because you see so many horror movies where like, okay, they're going to go encounter rednecks. Then there's going to be this kind of monster. Oh, they're in a city. Okay. Well then it's going to be something in a sewer. And like, you know, what it's like in America and there's the foreign equivalents, which can be kind of similar but just their world and sometimes what people prioritize and what is considered taboo and what is not is so interesting in foreign film. Um, what's also very interesting is how big religion plays in these foreign films. Like this reminds me a lot, a lot of this movie that we talked about last year in our top 10 called The Medium. Oh, that was my number one last year. Well, with your top 10, what was your number five? So my number five was already discussed. It was the tie between Watcher and Resurrection. Okay. Um, we discussed gotcha. both those movies already. So if that was your number five, I'll go right on to my number four. Do it. All right. So I think we're going to disagree here, which I'm still kind of shocked about. But my number four 
one of my favorite horror films of the year was The Black Phone. Oh. I, <laughs> I loved this movie. Uh, I'm actually showing this movie right now to my Fright Club, my after-school horror movie club. Mm -hmm. um, we have about 50 minutes left in it. We're going to finish it Thursday in class. Uh, and my students are loving it so far. Uh, some of them had already seen it in theaters and they're like totally cool to, to watch it again. Some of them have no idea. There's the, the one scene that we just finished was he picks up the phone and then the camera pans quickly and there's a ghost standing next to him. Right. One girl I thought was going to like flip her table over when that <laughs> happened. Um, this is a pair that we love. It's Scott Derrickson. It's C. Robert Cargill. Uh, and then we can take it even a step further. It's Joe Hill's no. story. Um, and this is Joe Hill's story, but it is adapted by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson to make it feel like it is a Stephen King story. Yeah. And, and, and that's with no disrespect to Joe Hill. It's in his blood. Right. <laughs> and and I, I haven't read the full um, black phone, his story. Uh, I do know it's a little different, but yeah. uh, just I, this feels like it has such a Stephen King vibe. The kids in the movie are fantastic. Madeline McGraw, my Lord, this girl is in a year with some of the best child performances I've ever seen. Right. She is number one best child performance of the year when she's cursing out the cops i'm dying i've seen the movie i saw the movie twice in theaters i went on a thursday night i loved the movie i like got home like shook charlotte awake and was like we have to go see the black phone and we went back we saw it she loved it uh it's streaming free on prime now if you have not seen it uh kudos to ethan hawk for not only playing against type by being the villain in this movie, but effectively wearing a mask for 90% of the movie, you can't even, like, you don't even know, you could tell it's Ethan Hawke, but, like, his face is covered for 90% of the movie. Uh, I think Tom Savini did the, the masks, which are incredible. This, to me, is a perfect general audience horror movie. You have compelling characters, characters that you want to root for, right. really good acting, a really compelling villain, uh, and you have two guys who know how to make a good horror movie in Derrickson and Cargill, and they're basing the material off of, you know, Stephen King's family, Joe Hill, his short story. It's just like a perfect combination for me to make, and this movie made a shitload of money, right. and I feel like this was, if you could like just put all the ingredients in a blender to make a horror movie that the general audiences, critics, you know, guys who have a YouTube channel like us and just that random, you know, teenage couple going on a date, uh, you know, the average couple that, you know, drop their kids off at the grandparents and they want to go see a movie on a Friday night. People who don't even like horror, this is the perfect movie for general audiences okay so number three is yet another split entry 
but I think you'll understand, again, we talked about enough times on this list about A, foreign horror, B, children in peril, and C, just brutal, brutal movies. And I couldn't separate these two movies. Speak No Evil, um, which was on Shudder, one of the darkest and most brutal movies I've ever seen. Like, okay. We'll put a pin in that. Okay. Because that's my number one. Okay. So we'll save that for them. But what's the other See, one? Then? We're pretty. We're, we, we, we've done enough of these that we know, we know the sweet spot. The other movie on my list that I'll talk about that, that I, I split with Speak No Evil is a movie called The Innocence. Oh, okay. Okay. This is also on Shudder. And this was directed by Eskil Vogt, I believe is how you say his name, V-O-G-T, Eskil Vogt. Or... And my favorite part of this movie is that it does not take any time explaining what is happening. This movie is about these young kids in an apartment building. They play outside together. One girl has an older, very autistic sister, um who does not speak and uh, she agrees to, you know, basically take her outside and play with her and let her friends play. And out of nowhere, the kids just start exhibiting special powers. Um, one of the little girls can communicate with the autistic girl and the autistic girl starts to speak. Then there's this other boy who has a very tumultuous home life, you get like this little view into his home life and it's not very good. And he starts to develop some telekinesis and some other really serious like mind powers. And he's like moving shit with his mind. And he is starting to do some real terrible stuff. And then you have the main girl who it's kind of unexplained if she has any powers or not, but she's just witnessing all this. And did you see the innocence? I have not. No, it's I'm real intrigued. It's these, it's just these little kids acting out of their asses, doing such a great job. And they just have these powers. And it's like, remember when Brightburn came out and everybody was like, Oh, how cool would it be? if Superman was a bad guy. Right, right. And he was a kid. You know, this movie kind of feels like, what if a kid who's abused by his mother just woke up one day and had superpowers? And what if a, a girl with autism suddenly had her own set of magical powers and this other little girl can communicate and there are some scenes in the movie I won't ruin that are going to, you're going to sit there going, oh God, oh God, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh God, oh fuck, what's happening? And, you know, the parent in me was freaking out. Right. And the horror movie fan in me was like in awe of what I was watching. Um, so I could not separate this and Speak No Evil. They're both foreign made. They're both European horror films where you have little blonde children at the core of the movie. Um, they're both, they both have some absolutely brutal moments in them. This is nowhere near as dark as speak no evil. Okay. Uh, so I'll leave that to you to talk about 
when it's when it's time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, again, foreign freaking horror, man. Uh, uh, okay. Well, I haven't seen that movie, so I can't give any kind of criticism or whatever. But I want to watch it now, based on what you said. Yeah. My number three, you mentioned already. I think it was in your honorable mentions, actually. But it's the movie Nope. So for Nope, I was actually kind of surprised because you're such a huge fan of Jaws, and you talk about Jaws quite often. And this movie really does feel like Jaws for its third act. But before we even get to that, there's one really terrifying moment that almost kind of like, you're like, what did I just see? And then besides that, there's this really great set piece that involves the movie Sunglasses at Night. And sometimes all the movie needs is to have like really amazing standalone moments that you're just going to think back to over and over again. Jordan Peele films have those moments. The movie starts out with a moment that is just disturbing and you're wondering what the hell is going on. Um, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. It was a huge hit when it first came out. I think that... We haven't talked about it so much, and, and maybe there's some recency bias to our list too. I, you know, I was just gonna say, I I think that nope, nope made. With, I told you, if this was, even though I'm kind of cheating, and I've I've had some double entries, if if I had a number eleven spot, nope would have been there. And I think, and I think you're you might be on to the recency bias stuff because this movie came out a long time ago. This movie yeah. came out what in February, I think. Yes. We did a middle of the year video too. And we were like, oh man, Nope's going to be on that top 10 list of ours. And I think it's just because it came out almost a fucking year ago, you know, at this point. We could do my number two, which is actually a movie that you talked about before. It's fresh. We, we kind of talked about it already. Um, it was directed by Mimi Cave. It was actually her first movie. I was, I was actually really impressed by that. And it's a screenplay by Lauren Kahn. Um, we covered this on the last cast too when we did our mid year review. Danny really did a fantastic job talking about that sort of that abrupt, sudden change, that shift in the movie. And that's actually when the credits start, too, for the movie. Um, But it was so well done. One last thing that I wanted to point out about this movie before we move on to your number two and, and our number ones is that there's this feeling of, like, dread that you can have for female characters because... I mean, and that's why often the main character in a horror movie is a woman. It's just because, you know, physically they often can't fight off their attacker, right? And the, this whole movie, the main character, um, Daisy Edgar Jones is Noah. She's just, you know, she's just in a horrible spot for this whole movie. I don't want to give it away, but like there's a couple of things that happen where I'm like, Oh no, is this going to happen to her? And you just feel for her and you feel how horrible her situation is. Um, and I think the movie just does a really great job with that, but it's also kind of juxtaposed with this sort of over the top kind of colorful imagery too. And, and uh, Sebastian Stan, he, he does, he has this great performance in it where he's so over the top. And I mentioned before that in Nope, there's this great sequence with sunglasses at night. In this movie, there's this great little montage where Sebastian Stan is doing something and they're playing that song, You're My Obsession. And I often think about that scene too. So um, obviously, as you guys, I mean, we're already up to fucking number two at this point. It's clear that I, and, and I think Danny too, 
if a movie has like a standalone scene that you're really looking forward to, that's what earns it on a list like this. And Fresh has a few moments like that for me. And a few of those moments are really upsetting. And a few of those moments are really fun. So, and I really cared about the main characters, both the villain and the protagonist. So uh, why don't we get to your number two, which I think it, I know what it is. And I think we're going to have a big argument now. I don't think we should have an argument, but it, it, it's terrified too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, this movie, it, look, I completely get anyone who is not a fan of the Terrifier movies. In many ways, the Terrifier films are a type of horror movie that feels 20 to 30 years past their prime. <laughs> that kind of grindhouse, like gore for the sake of gore, mm -hmm. like almost like a faces of death. You can't rent it when your parents are home type movie. And right. I get it. Uh, and, and I gotta be honest, the first one is, so here's where I, here's why I love this movie so much. And, and I'm going to bring up another movie and, and we've had this conversation before. I'll, I'll try not to go too long on it. Terrifier promised essentially nothing but gore. That's all. Art the Clown and gore. Like, can't show your kids this movie. Right. And for about 80 minutes, that's what Terrifier gave you. It gave you just some of the sickest violence you'll ever see. And don't worry, maybe when you're a little older. Charlotte's like, I want to see it. It gave you some of the, the just the absolute sickest gore and violence that you'll ever see uh, towards men, towards women, towards everything. It Art the Clown is a character unto himself. He's, he's awesome as a horror character, but there's really nothing more to the movie other than you have this psycho clown who doesn't speak, who murders people in the worst, most disgusting ways you could ever imagine. They took that and what they promised for the sequel was even more gore. <laughs> right. So you go in expecting basically nothing but the gore. And what, and what I got out of the movie was a pretty great horror movie that has some of these... This, this movie treats gore and kills like their action scenes in a Die Hard movie. Where it's like... All of the tension of like a Die Hard movie or an Indiana Jones movie is all about, you know, something's going to happen and it's going to lead to this big explosion and the hero is going to run and jump. And it's like this huge action set piece that like you walk out of the movie and you're like, oh man, the plot was really cool, but that one explosion. And I feel like that's what Damien Leone did in this movie. He treated the, the gore and the kills as action set pieces where it's like, okay, we've established a really great final girl uh, who and her family, who I really like. We've established that there's there's some like lore now to this character. There's things about the main character's uh, father that connects to Art the Clown, and, and that's not even really fully explored. So there's room to go into that in the sequel. 
there's supernatural aspects of the movie that come and go, uh, never lay it on too much. Um, and then there are these set piece kills. One in particular, I know that you said you basically turned the movie off at that point. And I totally get it. This is a movie that if you went on social media, people were walking out of the theaters, they were vomiting, they were passing out in the theater. It was as good of a you know recommendation to go see the movie for horror fans as you could ever get. Right, right. Um, and it, I just love the movie because it over-delivered on its promise. It promised gore and nasty kills and we got those. We got those so much, but we also got Sienna, what probably my favorite final girl of the last decade, played by Lauren Levera, who is a revelation in this movie. We got, you know, Art the Clown officially goes from being like a, a David Howard Thornton, a one-hit wonder character in Terrifier, to now, a, you know, I've spoken to people who went to like horror conventions monster mania conventions where like Robert Englund was there. And they said that the line for David Howard Thornton, art, the clown was longer now than like Robert Englund. So this right. is a character that has started to transcend horror movies and is becoming that next Jason, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger type character. You have so much lore that is put into this movie where it leaves the door open for there to be another movie that can go into these things like the dad and the connection, the supernatural elements of like the dagger and everything, you know, there's all of this stuff. I saw it in the theater, this movie, what probably one of the most successful independent movies of all time. Now, when you think about how much money it was made for, and this was supposed to be like a weekend at the movie theater. It turned into months at the movie theater. Right, right, right. Um, right. It's the reason why a ton of people, went out and got Screenbox TV because it was one of the, like the main selling points of Screenbox TV. Yeah. I've rewatched this at least two times already and it's two and a half hours long. And yes, you probably can shave off 10 minutes towards the ending. But even then, I, I think for what the director was trying to do and what, for what the cast was trying to do, no movie in 2022 over delivered the way Terrifier 2 did. <laughs> and All I right. know, I know, and I know I'm not asking anyone else to love it because it's not a movie that a lot of people can watch and love and enjoy. Right. But it just got me at the perfect time <laughs> and moment. All right. Well, I mean, okay. So. Obviously, there's an appeal for this movie because it's all over Twitter and you just were raving about it. You know, I, I personally feel like with horror that there's an aspect to it, just like metal music, where there's metal fans, there's horror fans. But you get to this point where it's like, well, it has to be the hardest fucking metal music where they're just screaming and the drum machine is just like, right? Like, and it's like, oh, if you like that music, then are you you have balls like you're really fucking you're tough right and i feel like with horror it's like oh well you like horror but they gotta like slice up with a fucking girl's eye and scalp her and then we gotta fucking like you know like oh that's when you're really into horror when you when you fucking like just skin fucking a kid man it's awesome and like 
I get it. Like that's sort of like the end of one spectrum, right? You just keep going until it's so far. And I know that like, if you've been raised on this, if you're like your daughter, right? Or you, or, I mean, like I, I'm sort of a lesser version of a horror fan than you, right? But like, you've seen all this stuff for decades. So it takes a lot to make you go, oh yeah. my God. And and this movie is just filled with that. Yeah. So I, I, I understand. I, and I, I get it. Like I, I, there are horror movies that I won't watch. Like yeah. I will not watch, uh, I'm trying, I, I, I can't think of the name of the movie. It, um, Cannibal Holocaust. No, no. I've seen that before. <laughs> There's this European horror film that came out a few years ago. Yeah. All the people in my fucking writers group, I know what you're talking about. It's called like the fucking, what's that movie? It's like, it's the Serbian film, right? Serbian, Serbian yeah. film, a yeah. Serbian film. Yeah. Yes. What's that Serbian film called? A Serbian film. No. Right. So like, right. I I have no desire. I I get I get why anyone would not want to subject themselves to Terrifier two. It just hit me perfectly, and I I love it. I love the final girl. I love the final battle in it. I love the lore that they created. I love right. the cameos that are in it. Right. It just yeah. It just so, hit me in, at the right moment. Here's a good example, right? You're talking about Terrifier two, and it's got this over the top fucking torture and gore. And it, it was disturbing. I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't want to think about this movie when I'm eating like Sloppy Joe's next week, right? But then this movie that's my number one, Speak No Evil, is a movie that fucking like haunts me. Oh. I think about this movie and I almost kind of shudder because it hurts me. You know, it hurts my heart. Um, I'm, I'm a big Sons of Anarchy fan. And there's something that happens to a main character in the second to last season that I couldn't imagine that like they did that to that character and it just really upset me. And it, it gave me that same kind of feeling with this movie where I couldn't believe they went that far. I couldn't believe they went that dark. Um, and now it's like, I can't get it out of my head. So it's but, funny you brought that up because I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I have not watched Sons of Anarchy and like Athena has tried to get me to watch Sons of Anarchy my fr I have friends that have named their kids Jacks because of Sons of Anarchy. Right. And it's like, you know something? I know what scene you're talking about, uh, and I got no time for that bullshit. Like, I have no interest in wanting to watch that. Right. Well, and, and we've already kind of talked about this bullshit in this movie, but there's one point I wanted to make. I've already talked about a few times now how horrible things happen to children in some of these movies on my top ten list. So I'm not going to go back into that point. What I will go into, though, is that... I feel like this movie intentionally was made to be like this metaphor about fascism, this metaphor about like you keep your mouth closed or you kind of put up with the behavior of other people that you find unacceptable and you, you put up with it because you don't want to hurt feelings. You don't want to do some sort of social, you know, like break a social norm. And then in the end, you pay the price for it and your children pay the price for it. And I, I think love, I love everything that you just said. I think you're, you're dead on. My biggest takeaway from this movie was like the next time that, you know, you're sitting with your wife and you're like, Oh, I really don't want to go to dinner with that couple. <laughs> just fucking stay home. Right. Like just <laughs> stay the fuck home. Right. Don't right. Force yourself to do anything because part of, when I was watching this movie, there's so many parts of it where you're, I was literally almost screaming at the television. Like, what? 
just leave. Right. Go. Right. Get right. the fuck. Like, what are you doing? Right. Oh. And, uh, and 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 you and and you said it. It's a. You get this like. You get these feelings of like. What are the proper social cues? What are the proper like social mores and and, and you know uh, uh, social norms that I need to be following? And yeah. you know, like, oh, I I can't, you know, I'm in this person's house, so I can't tell them how to parent, even though I'm witnessing fucking child abuse. Right. You know, right. I I can't just tell them, oh, you know, maybe you should go easy on your kid because I'm in somebody else's house and maybe that's how they do things here. Right. And it's just like, this is a movie that teaches you a life lesson. Sometimes it's better to just stay the fuck home with your family, not make any new friends, <laughs> you know, be friends yeah. with the people that you have. And yeah, I, this movie went about if if going if taking things to ten is like the extreme, this movie took it to like fifty at the end, yes, to the point yes. where I was just like, I felt like a broken person at the yep. end of this movie. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, you have your take. I kind of have my take. I, I really do think it is a metaphor for fascism and just kind of what we've been thinking as a collective unconsciousness recently of like, oh, we're letting people get away with things, and this is the ultimate end. If we let people get away with stuff, if we don't open our mouths, if we don't get away from these people, something horrible is going to happen. And I would love, I would love to talk to Christian Taftrup, who's the director uh, of this movie. And he also co-wrote it with his brother Mads. I would love to talk to them and see what they say about this movie, if that was one of their intentions. But considering that we've gone an hour and 32 minutes into this video, we need to cover your number one, which I am assuming is the movie Pearl. Well, you're half right. What? Oh, what? This is bullshit. Get, get out of here. Two I, I, my number one is Ty West. Ty West is his number one. So, look, <laughs> no. the bottom line is I actually just rewatched both of these movies back to back yesterday. Right. There is no recency bias. Pearl was my de facto number one right. going into this countdown. The question was just, where was I going to put X? Right, right. And watching them back to back, they, the fact that Ty West was out of the horror movie making world for yeah. a, a decade, the fact that he came back and in one calendar year, just months apart, releases probably the best modern day version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you're going to ever see. Right. You know, basically an ode to everything 1970s Toby Hooper with X. Right. And that includes Eaten Alive, Toby Hooper's uh, exploitation movie about, you know, a guy who trains alligators to eat his victims. Right. Uh, the fact that he went from this and then teased in the end credits of this movie teases the prequel and then at the end of this movie they tease the final part of the trilogy which is coming out i think later this year or at the beginning of next year maxine triple x yeah um about this character look i could not separate them because they are part of the same world 
So it felt like if I was going to put X at like number five, yeah. I was going to end up talking about Pearl while talking about X. So I sure. just kind of split the difference. X to me is a perfect modern slasher. It does so many new things, you know, while giving us some of those nostalgia moments of, you know, Toby Hooper, 1970s stuff. It has the whole vibe. I mean, the, the setting is Texas Chainsaw. It takes place <laughs> in Houston, 1979. Right, right. And... And you you get from there to, uh, and, and and then you go into Pearl, which is one of the greatest character studies I've ever seen of a movie. You talk about a woman who deserves to be nominated for best actress. Yeah. You brought it up before the last yeah. ten minutes of this movie. Yeah, the monologue that she gives at the table. Right. This, you know, this is another one where like people say, "Oh, you could talk to me." Sometimes just fucking leave, you know, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, Mitzi tells Pearl, you can talk to me and Pearl fucking talks to her and delivers one of the great monologues that I've ever seen. And then that is followed up by a long take axe murder, which is then followed by her husband coming home from World War One. And oh, this her, guy's just spoiling this one. Oh, I. It's a prequel. I mean, okay, I, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the smile that she delivers at the end, which goes through the credits, the credits. unedited. Right, right, right. I right. sat there in the movie theater, like fascinated to the point where I was almost crying just because I wasn't blinking, watching her not blinking. <laughs> right. It was, it's Ty West a decade ago, I would have told you he would be the guy like Mike Flanagan or James Wan that we would dedicate an entire YouTube channel to. And then he just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth for a while. He did a lot of TV. Uh, he did a, like a Western movie. And now he's back. And in one year, he reasserted his dominance over the horror genre. Two of my favorite movies of the year. Mia Goth is just a star, no pun intended, because that's like the whole point of her character in the movie, but she is a freaking star. <laughs> but the other thing that I love so much about X uh, that I think gets lost in the sense that, oh, it's a 70s style like slasher movie. It yeah. has so much to say about old age yes. and like, you know, when is it time to give up on your hopes and dreams? Mm -hmm. um, it has a lot to say about you know, the porn industry and the sense that, you know, they're, they're just people, you know, doing movies, you know, trying to get paid. Uh, the, and what I really like about the movie is all of the characters, there's no, of, of all of the protagonists, all of them are kind of good characters. You know, you have, you know, Kid Cudi, Brittany Snow, uh, Jenna Ortega, uh, shocking to see her in one of these movies. Uh, you know, you have uh, obviously Mia Goth. They're all like good people. They all make like they all have good character moments to yeah. the point where like you know that most of them are gonna die because of the type of movie you're watching, but you almost don't want them to die because they're like, like you just kind of want to get them to finish making their movie and, and go on with their lives, but. You know, it's it's such a great movie. It has so much to say. And then Pearl, oh my God. Like 
to watch Pearl and then X right away, right after, which I did yesterday, you get the full character scope of this woman who effectively all she's ever wanted to do is escape this, you know, small life that yeah. she has. Yeah. And to watch the movies back to back. Yes. She's a serial killer. Yes. Yeah. She's obviously has mental health issues, right, but right. it's also a tragedy for her. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, it, between like having to having the over abusive mother and the, 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 the father that needed taken care of. So she couldn't leave. She marries this guy and gets pregnant with this guy who she obviously was not fully enamored with, but she saw him as her ticket off the farm. He right. goes to world war one. She's stuck at home. Um, and you know, everything kind of gets to her by the time he comes home. And then it's really crazy to think he killed, she killed um, his sister and spoilers. <laughs> yeah. And he's the guy that is like married to her and devoted to her for the next 70 years through yeah. X. So yeah. it's like, I guess maybe it was true love, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense to pair the two up. And almost make it like, oh, it's like a Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2. Yeah, kind of that's kind of how I, I look at it. Because you can't really, if if you were if we were just going to have a conversation about Pearl, we were, we were going to have to bring up X anyway. Right. And X is so good of a movie on its own. I didn't feel like it deserved to get left off the list only because I think Pearl is the better movie because it's this singular character study. Whereas X is more of a traditional slasher with good characters yeah. um, and, and like very interesting villains, you know? Yes. Yeah. So really, really good choices for uh, your number one pick. And I think that's a good stopping point for us. We've gone about an hour and 43 minutes into this review <laughs> of 2022. I had a lot of fun talking about it with you. I'm, I'm not even going to let us do any of the fucking plugging because I need to go eat dinner. Uh, so, this, movie, this, this list, this uh, this video is now almost as long as Terrifier Two. Yeah, oh my God! Yes, yeah. But if you guys are watching us on Facebook Live versus YouTube, then you can go over to our YouTube channel. It's the Laster Cast. If you like podcasts better, you can check us out on a streaming station. Uh, but Danny and I are always reviewing horror films. Twenty twenty three is already off to a good start. Um, but make sure that you subscribe to the Laster Cast in some form so you can hear about what we talk about next. But Danny, thank you so much. And here is to a good 2023. Yeah. Whew.